Uh, just custard slice and a coffee. Thanks, Roy. What are you having? Oh, uh, coffee, sir. When you're ready, Roy. Sure. Certainly. Tim, can, can I have a little chat? Yeah, sure. You were out of the flat quicker than a scolded cat this morning when someone mentioned you moving in. Was that? Yeah. Oh, hey, can we talk about this later? Um, about a drink, the Rovers. I've, I've got a Zoom with the Bishop. It, 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 we'll cancel that, Roy. I, I, I've got to go. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. Hello and welcome to episode 247 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Cornish and Street Catcher podcast that thanks for everyone's health and security. It's best that someone locks up all of Stephen's office supplies before the water level of the canal goes up another foot. I'm Gavin. And I looked at porn all day at work. And got, work, work if you can get it. It got paid for it. I love my job. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing to say, Broom. So so many things to say that, <laughs> but I better just keep them to myself. It's actually it's actually quite sad, and this is like the aspect of the job that I don't think an awful lot of people like really the, por- the porn aspect really of it contemplate the fact that we're kind of we're helping families move on. You know, and and find a place for their loved ones' things after they're gone. We had and and this was part of it. This was part of the estate of this man in his fifties who moved, and then six months later died of a heart attack and had not unpacked most of his things. So we had to do the unpacking. This is more house clearance slash auction house stuff. Just in case anyone's new and has no right. idea of why yes. you're talking about porn and old people having heart attacks. Well, he wasn't old. He was like a few years older than you. That's old. That's not old. But anyway, so, you know, so his family had no idea what was what was there. So we went and collected it and unpacked it and laid it out all out on tables for the for the parents of this man to come and see. Oh, you didn't let the parents find this, did you? And my boss put the pornographic magazines aside. Oh, thank Because he didn't he didn't want mom and dad to see this. Right. Meanwhile, I'm thinking this man was in his fifties. I I doubt his parents had any qualms about what he may or may not have gotten into in his time. But nobody wants. <laughs> kind of confirmation of that so when his parents came and were walking around the tables and everything but not like that his mum his mum says to me where's his pornos exactly she's like oh did you did you find the porn did you find the porn young lassie (laughs) i don't know why she speaks like that she didn't but that's fine and I said, oh, yeah, it's it's over on that shelf over there. My boss didn't think you'd want to see it. And she's like, oh. <laughs> My boss is well. in the bathroom with it. He'll be out in a minute. <laughs> and she's like, oh, yeah, I'm the one who told him to look out for it. <laughs> oh, wow. And then and then she said, because we had like this, this porcelain cabinet. 
of his that's that's going into my auction and she's like oh is that the one that has the naughty magnets in it and it's not this more like batman and comic book sort of magnets and the one that we got and she's like oh the naughty ones must have gone to um to the liquidators instead um because the liquidator kind of helped us out with because there was just so this much is becoming less interesting and then his dad overheard it his dad this this sweet old man who who just got out of the hospital after having the stroke said oh but not like that naughty magnets where naughty magnets naughty magnets meryl like that that anyway they were they were very very sweet and i'm so glad that we're able to kind of help them because they they look they're like this can't possibly be all of his stuff we're like yes this is all of his stuff and like there's just so much stuff. Why did he have so much stuff? And it's like, well, he was your son. Mm. So Yeah, I think that's a relationship with your parents that you probably shouldn't have. <laughs> a frank a frankness about sexuality? Mm-hmm. I think I think more people should have a frank relationship no. with their parents when it comes to sexuality. Absolutely not. Maybe there'd be less less issues with disowning your children for Sexual reasons. Nope. Like legal sexual reasons. Nope. So, uh, oh, after so all how that. Is, so how was your, so did you get to look at porn on, on the job today? No. Wink. Except no. for the pictures that I sent you. Well, you didn't send me any pictures. You just sent me the covers, which <laughs> frankly wasn't enough. <laughs> I didn't realize that Busty was a magazine. Or Jugs. You didn't get Jugs over there. Jugs is notorious. No. I mean, I've, I've heard even. of Playboy and Hustler, but I've never heard of, never heard of Jugs magazine. Or Buxom. No. We we typically had uh, men's magazines, g- gentlemen's literature. Uh-huh. They were named after things like uh, cars. We had, a, we had Fiesta and Escort mm. and Mayfair. Escort makes sense. Mayfair was kind of the classier version. Right. The Playboy, if you will. Yeah. Did you know that Playboy had a had a um we'll, we will get to Coronation Street. Had I like promise. a worldwide sort of uh, magazine called Owee? No. O U I? I don't know how you spell we. Thank O-E? you. Ask me how I know. Because I know what the French for yes is. <laughs> no, because I was looking through a stack of them today. <laughs> you didn't know otherwise. No, I okay. had I had no idea. Fantastic. It's the for the worldwide gentleman. <laughs> exactly like that. Yes. When uh, when homegrown <laughs> masturbation isn't enough. Right. All right. Shall More we- hair. <laughs> Ooh la la. <laughs> Shall we preamble, my dear? A week. Give us some of that sticky pages, Cody News. <laughs> Goodbye, Mr. Tambourine Man. Hello to the D O double G. A couple of months ago, it was Bob Dylan expressing love of all things Corey. And now Snoop Dogg has said he wants to guest on the show. Imagine that, Corey fanboy group chat. Who else do you think is there besides Dylan and Snoop Dogg? Well, 
I had my gin and juice and a scotching threat when you have a second please bet that thing and also this week's hard debate you didn't answer my question oh i didn't know what it meant <laughs> about who else would be on that group chat what other what other masculine music performer is also secretly in love with coronation street oh dave Grohl, probably yeah probably if and when snoop dogg makes his debut on corey what should he do in his first episode? Should he <laughs> pay off Paul's debt? Have a word with Aaron? Help Evelyn's grief? Or have a sing-song with Rita? I voted sing-song with Rita. The voting was thus. Have a word with Aaron was 5.9%. Help Evelyn's grief, 11.8%. Pay off Paul's debt, 19.6%. But a resounding winner with 62.7% was have a sing-song with Rita. I would just like to be in the rotation with Snoop Dogg and Evelyn smoking a joint. Evelyn wouldn't pass it on. Yeah, no, she'd bogart that whole thing. Yeah, and Rita would duck sarse it. <laughs> hate it when people duck sarse it. <sighs> Can I get on with Corey, Corey News I wish now? you would. Hmm. Sarah and Damon got a little cozy this week on Corey. More on that later. But did you know that actors Tina O'Brien and Kieran Griffiths went to drama school together? I did. And did you also know that they then starred together in Waterloo Road, where his character forced her character to make pornographic films? It I did. all goes back to porn. I did. It all goes back to porn. Yeah, the two of them had a very much an obvious chemistry mm -hmm. together. And it seems like they still got it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. He's got more hair now, though. He's got more hair now. Yeah, because he had oh, a shaved yes. head in Waterloo Road. Absolutely. And she's taller. She's like almost his height now, which is hilarious because he is also quite short for a man. And she's, of course, quite short for a man. That's right. No offense to anyone if any was caused. <laughs> we stand a short king in this house. And finally, speaking of royalty, royalty once again darkens the doorstep of the rovers as Princess Anne pops in to chat about her role as patron of the Acid Survivors Trust International. Whatever that has to do with the cobbles. A wink. Mm. When I saw a photograph of it, I thought Emily Bishop was back. But it wasn't. <laughs> it was Princess Anne. It's good to see her in a boot. The Princess Anne. Okay. She's one of the less icky ones, I think. She was famously, I mean, the royal family has gone through peaks and troughs in terms of popularity, but Correct. Princess Anne was always one that I think got more of a, a pass from people. Right, because she was never going to be queen. No, I, and, I think people are easier on the ones that... Mm, uh, mm, the, I, 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 mm. And that's Corey News. Which brings us on to our Everyone's a Critic section. We're, we're just recycling the YouTube music still. Yeah, I thought you'd made your peace with us. <laughs> I thought you were going to come out with something more like, with like tippy-tappy typewriter music. Ting! No, thank you. Like, like Kermit frantically typing on the typewriter. 
you know, which is what people do, and and then they post. Why the would I want to do that when I've got a perfectly valid little sting there that's not getting used? Anyway. Anyway. Mark, I like typewriters. Mark got in touch with some information about Afflecks that got mentioned last week. Remember, mm-hmm. we had Eliza and Miley who met up at the Afflecks. Afflack. And I didn't know what that was. Turns out it's an indoor market in Manchester mm-hmm. in the city's northern quarter. Dozens of independent stalls and small shops and little boutiques underneath the one roof, which kind of reminds me of the in-stores in Falkirk. So Mark writes to say this is where Jackson and homeless Stu took Miley and Eliza for their shopping trip. For Eliza, it's an essential rite of passage. For Miley, an essential tourist stop-off. They both definitely required parental guidance. And the trip by bus or Metrolink also isn't for young girls travelling alone. So this part of the story actually made quite a lot of sense. Huh. So that's good stuff. Yes. Every day is a school day. If you say so. Which brings us on to Will Podcast for Coffee. No complaints about that thing. No, because that 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 fits the whole coffee thing. Well, it this does like as well house. because it's the theme to film ninety whatever. I've never watched film well, ninety whatever. Well, that's your education that's missing. <laughs> Thanks to French Helen for her coffees this week. A wee. <laughs> Ooh la la, says French Helen. <laughs> it is moi, la Helen Francaise. Please have a café sur moi. Well, thank you very much indeed. Merci beaucoup. For that French, Helen, we, we very much appreciate it. I am drinking, though, because, again, it's 8 o'clock at night. A Canada Dry, zero sugar. Oi, Canada Dry. What about yourself? Cranberry juice. Cranberry juice. One of these days we will have coffee. Maybe maybe a cheeky weed decaf. Yeah. I sometimes have coffee after dinner, but that's typically if we're eating in a fancy restaurant. Indeed. And I'm getting a fancy dessert. Oh, uh, ho, ho. the talk of the street is... <laughs> but and, not like that. Oh, uh, well. And we'll <laughs> always be free on your podcast provider and on the YouTubes. But if you think our show is worth anything more than the time it takes to listen to it, and if you want to show your appreciation like French Ellen did, you can buy us next week's coffee by going to ko-fi.com. That's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. And we'll be very appreciative of Ellen. Not French Ellen, you. A wee. And now, this. A welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, welcome to Les Yutin. Oh, no, that's the French thing again. Welcome to Les Yutin tonight with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about shame and syphilis. This has something to do with Billy, doesn't it? That's right. This was Sarah <laughs> dobbing Lydia into the cops, telling them that they'll find sympathy in the dictionary between shame and, and syphilis, syphilis, which was an altogether too clever thing and too stupid thing for Sarah to say. Mm. I was Gavin and you were leaving me. I Not was forever, leaving though. you. It was for spring break. Yes, we were going. To, we were the kids and I went to Wisconsin and had a lovely time, even though. Almost everything was shut because it was very still much winter up there. Right. Next, but this year for spring break, we're going back to Dollywood. Uh, we're going back to Tennessee. It's a revenge. This time, 
It's poisonal. <laughs> yeah, so we will not be podcasting next week. We will not. You're just going to have to talk amongst yourselves about the wedding of the century. Yeah. I was thinking that if we were leaving on Thursdays, we could have done a Wednesday episode that covered mm-hmm. Monday, Wednesday, but we're leaving Wednesday now, so there's no point just doing a, mm. a Monday. Although... We could bring the equipment with us and do it there. But then we won't do it. Because we won't, because we're on holiday. That's right. And, and we, we deserve and a holiday, damn it. Damn I've been it. working very, very hard <laughs> looking at porn all week, or just today. It's time. I hope you're keeping up on your liquids. <laughs> but... But yeah. A week. <laughs> but yeah, so we will be in Tennessee yes. this time next week. If if any stars of Coronation Street would like to record themselves saying Dollywood <laughs> as you did last time, we would greatly appreciate it. Absolutely. Yes. So yeah. Uh, where was I? My nipples had gone all Joe Rogan. Colson Smith had signed up for the games. Remember the games? Oh, before that, remember my nipples? In breach of his bail conditions, Adam tricks Lydia into meeting him at the mall where he intends to trick her into a confession, but she has other ideas. If you enjoy nipple discussion, please check out our other podcast, The List of Lists, where this week we had a lengthy discussion about Woody Harrelson's nipples. In the the movie less Champions. said about Woody Harrelson's nipples, the better. <laughs> Steve continues to jeopardise his relationship with his daughter and her future by throwing a series of spanners into any plans she has for independence with Jacob. Faye's allergies to a flea-ridden peanut temporarily mask a more biological reason for her feeling sick in the mornings. Whoa! Sally's home from Gina's to find Tim, Randy as all get out. Why is it always Peanut who gets blamed for these things? And his mother more determined than ever to play a blocking role in him doing anything about it. In the midst of council elections, Maria learns that Weather County's training ground is being moved to a location that may disturb one of Gary's long-held secrets. Daniel can't look up. Beth is itchy. And Craig uses Febreze as a verb. Our moment of the week was Gary confessing his crimes mostly to Laura the Chin. And our boring moment of the week was Kirk in his bee costume again. And that was Coronation Street and the talk of the street this time last year. So what do you think is going to happen to the canal to 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 raise that that body? Well, presumably it'll be dredged. I mean, it's just there below the surface. Mm. It won't take much. Yes, let's get the showboat on the road boat. Absolutely. So our first storyline tonight is Damon, Bad Omens 2. On Monday... Sarah drops in to see Nick at number 8 He's become quite the domestic goddess Since he moved back in with his mum And he's doing the hoovering Sarah wants to check to make sure Gail is still on to babysit Because she and Adam are off into town To be deplorable in a hotel together Ha ha, a wee It's nice that she shares this with her brother Right Later in the bistro, Nick walks into the office to find Damon in his seat Nick tries to throw him out and thre- I like that And threatens to call the police But Damon still has keys for the place And money invested there And this is how Nick thanks him Damon insists that he's not going anywhere On account of his super new local solicitors You may have heard of them He said In the rovers Adam and Sarah are having a drink When Nick comes in and lets the cat out of the bag That he and Dee Dee are representing Damon Sarah goes ballistic But Adam says he's just doing his job And he was going to tell her While they were getting their hole later tonight Yeah, so romantic <laughs> Sarah still fumes about this, so Adam decides to tell her that it was a tough decision, something that Sarah knows nothing about. 
Sarah storms oh off to the God. hotel and tells Adam his hole is now off the table. <laughs> yeah, what the hell was that? It just, he gives Daniel a hard time for saying the wrong things, but he is just as bad. That felt like an un-Adam thing to say. You think so? Yeah, I kind of credit him with a little bit more more sense than that. To say that... Because he knows how involved she's been at the factory recently. He knows all about the deals and about the Carla stuff. He knows how hard that she's been working with the designs with Michael. So he, he knows very well how hard she's been working and how she's been having to make decisions. So this seemed like a an uncharacteristic low blow from him. Hmm. So I thought. I don't know. <laughs> I think you give him too much credit because he's Scottish. That's just coincidence. <laughs> the fine was in the post, Adam. <laughs> Meanwhile, on the street, Damon... he's had a shave. Meanwhile, on the street, Damon bumps into Didi, who has to remind him that their relationship is purely professional from now on. No more booty calls. Not that they ever had any booty calls. No. In the law office, Adam is a bear with a sore head. He explains the lie of the land to Didi, who did tell him so. And she did. Yes, she did. Didi reminds him that Damon is just a client to her. He's considerably more than that to Adam. And that's how she kind of reconciles this with herself. It's right, like, yeah. To her, it really is just a client. It doesn't right. matter to her. Yeah. She's like, if my family were involved, if this guy was threatening my family, I wouldn't have anything to do with him. Right. So in the rape hotel, Sarah is ready to get hammered on the wing when she runs into Damon, who she doesn't know. and who turns Which is weird. Again, it's kind of like um, Daisy's mum and, and Justin. The fact that they have no idea what this person who's been making the lives of their family members miserable looks hmm. like. People generally aren't that interested in other people's stories, though. As we will see later on. Well, I mean, this is this is above and beyond, though. This is, you know, people threatening the lives of your family members. It's not just, you know, the lady in the shop who keeps stealing stuff out of your cart or something. Well, sure, but what does Gail know about any of this? <laughs> what does Audrey know about any of this? I mean, I, I think in, in, in real life, your whole family would, would kind of know about it. Mm -hmm. But I don't know if you would show them pictures of who this person was. I don't know. Well, I, as much as Damon was lurking around the bistro for weeks, mm, they, they should have bumped into one another. It's a small street. It does. It is. It will. So Damon turns on the charm for Sarah. In an attempt to prove Adam wrong, Sarah completely falls for it. A few more drinks in and Damon suggests hitting the champagne that she's got in her room, something an independent woman would definitely do. The way she's so easily manipulated into that. He is very charming, though. I guess. He says all the right things, doesn't he? He says all the right things to a very dumb woman. <laughs> oh, yeah. Meanwhile, in the law office, Adam is ready to drop Damon as a client, but can't get him on the phone because he's busy getting busy with Sarah. Sarah is also not answering her phone, so Adam decides to head down to the rape hotel after all, even though she's told him... Very specifically not to come. Don't come. Stay where you are. 
And because you're not going to come. Sarah and Damon are getting wired into the champers. Damon nips off for a shite while Sarah finds a card from Adam in the room. And suddenly Sarah changes her mind because it's a nice I love you Sarah kind of card. Damon takes no for an answer quite easily, gives Sarah his number in case she changes her mind, and then nicks all the toiletries out of the bathroom and leaves. Including the grapefruit shampoo. In the bar, Adam runs into Damon, and as Adam is trying to drop Damon as a client, Sarah comes in and is confused to see the two of them chatter, and then is furious for the second time tonight when Adam explains who Damon is. Damon reckons that he's getting dropped to keep Sarah happy, but she insists it's got nothing to do with her, so everyone's happy, capiche? And Adam checks her, so that means that you're alright with us? And she's like, well, in for a penny. Mm-hmm. Adam and Sarah make up, kinda, and Damon still gets represented by, checks notes, the best damn lawyer in Weatherfield. Mm-hmm. On the way home, though, Sarah sends Adam to the kebab shop and then calls Damon, and they meet in the alleyway of doom, where Sarah reads Damon the riot act about the Nick thing and suggests they stay away from each other, then both agreeing that nothing will ever happen between them. No, nothing was going to happen. Nothing. No. Absolutely nothing's going to happen. Nothing's going to happen to see each other. Nothing. Did you notice he didn't write his name down with his number? So, like, months later, she could have found this piece of paper and said, Who the hell is this? Oh, yeah. Who's this guy? It's weird that they didn't, ex- that they had this lengthy chat at the bar and didn't exchange names. I know. She took him up to his room and up to her room and didn't know his name. Who does that? Not smart women. Not smart, independent women who know how not to get raped. I've, I've, I'm a little disappointed in Sarah because of that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how you have a conversation with somebody for that long without knowing what their name is. Right, yeah. Out of even just idle curiosity, you're going right. to... You're going oh, to, my uh, name is. Oh, my name by is. By the way, right. Right, yeah. They've, they've had this whole frank conversation about how disappointed she is in her husband. And Damon's totally the sort of guy that would say, by the way, just in case you need to scream it later on, my name's Damon. <laughs> in, a, in a nice way. Yeah. You've been, Not you've, in a terrible you've, way. You've been imagining that in your head all night, haven't you? No, it just came to me. Uh-huh. It seriously just came to me. I'm that sharp. Mm-hmm. On Wednesday, Damon is on the phone to another one of his mysterious third parties when where he insists that he intends to be paid back and soon. And then there's old Sarah's with Adam and is shocked when a winking Damon comes in to arrange a meeting about his case and to order a woman repellent from Roy who is utterly baffled. <laughs> in the law office later, Damon is telling a disinterested Dee Dee that he's found someone else. Super lawyer Dee Dee tells Damon that the case against him is airtight, so he's fucked. Damon is furious and knows who to blame, but before he can get to Raj, he gets a text from Sarah arranging a clandestine meeting in the alleyway of doom again. So, once there, he makes it clear about how much he wants to get into her knickers. She asks him to drop Adam as a lawyer and to leave her brother alone. She encourages him to do the right thing. We'll see, he says. We'll see. Mm Mm-hmm. So he goes to see Nick, who runs away to hide in the bistro office. Damon follows him in. <laughs> Nick, you're taller than he is. I know. Just kick him. And Nick looks like he's about to start crying. Damon insists that he's not there to beat Nick up or to threaten him, and he's decided to let it all go. Nick removes the poop from his pampers. So he says, I don't need to check underneath my car. I don't need hey. to check over my shoulder. Later, Nick can't wait to tell Sarah how he shot himself in front of Damon earlier, but he's... Uh, 
called a truce and he probably isn't going to get blown up now. Sarah advises him to accept the good news and focus on his relationship with Leanne. Later still, Damon and Sarah meet up again, but this time on the street, where Sarah is aimlessly walking around outside the barbers. For he, some reason. He's keen on having another date. He let Nick off for her benefit and is determined to get into her good books and her knickers. He makes a bet that he can get his hole with her by June the 21st. Which is his mum's birthday. And they say romance is dead. <laughs> and the first day of summer. Isn't that the first day of summer? Ah, who knows. But this encounter seems to have got Sarah all hot to go. So she turns up at the law office, sends Alia packing and gets a hole with Adam on the office desk, even though Adam uses the phrase sub-piles. And that <laughs> is as far as we get with that storyline this week. She just swooshes those sub-piles right off that desk. Throws his tie off. Right. Swooshes the paper away. That's good. That's it's going to take sort of forever thing. to collate again. It, it makes you think. They better get this done in one take because if they don't, it's somebody's job to pick up all, all those, those papers, papers and put them back in a pile right. again. Yep. Oh, so what did you think of this this week? <clears throat> I don't know. I, I, it's it's blessedly free of <coughs> women being traumatized, so it's got that going for it. Tick. <laughs> No, it's just Nick being terrorised and that's fine. I think what we can all agree on is that Damon and Sarah are not going to get their holes with each other much before June 21st. Right, but they will eventually. Probably on June 21st. Yeah, So it's going to happen. Date for the diary. When When is June 21st this gonna year? It's going to happen, yeah. What day uh, of the week hold is on. it? Hold on, let me see. Let me pull up my... Handy dandy calendar here. Oh, it's a Wednesday. So uh -oh, that's, there we go. There we go. <laughs> that's a day that Coronation Street is on. So mm -hmm. that looks likely. As I said, June Corey News. The, the two of them, Sarah and Damon, have wonderful chemistry together. And that's that's not to say that she doesn't have chemistry with Adam. No. But it's different with Damon, isn't it? It feels more familiar, which is weird because yes. they've just met. Right. But it's because the actors have known each other since they were 14. Right. And I've got to say, again, I like Adam and Sarah together, but mm -hmm. I kind of like I kind of like the Damon aspect of it. Yeah. I don't think I'd be terribly disappointed if... If she did fool if, around if, with if them. If they had an affair. Yeah. It'd be fun. I think the Adam and Sarah thing was never going to last. No. Forever. No. And I, 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 Just watch. You know what's going to happen? Huh? In July, Sarah's going to find out she's uh, pregnant. Uh, uh oh. And whose baby is it? We won't know until they hit puberty. It'll be impossible to tell. And Unless it comes out with a man bun, a baby bun, and a kilt. <laughs> they don't come out with kilts, Helen. That's just silly. <laughs> Yeah, I quite like this. I don't mind I, it. I, I do have some reservations about the whole legal aspect of it. And it does also feel like it's just any excuse to just drop this whole Damon's a bad guy who's going to kill Nick right. part of the and story, which also, no one was interested in. And who also very nearly killed his own son. Mm -hmm. 
yeah, that feels like it's all been swept under the carpet now. Right, yes. It kind of feels like we're starting afresh with him. Right. It's a kind of little bit of a Bernie break that he's been on and he's come back mm-hmm. and now he's now his main focus is getting into Sarah's knickers and right. n- nothing else is is really going to get mentioned again. And I think and that's yet, fine. And yet there's that phone call. So he's still conspiring. Well, that phone call somehow. was before the agreement and before the right, um, but still the, the ceasefire, if you will. But still, somebody else is chomping at the bit to get money back as well. So how is that going to pan out for him? Well, we shall see. Yes, we shall. Our next storyline tonight is Compensation Street. Compensation Street <laughs> on Monday. At the flat, someone has been counting how many nights Paul has been staying, and she's that's un- not creepy at all. And she's unbearably cheery when she asks when he's going to move back in. Paul and Billy grasp their collar slash dog collar respectively. <laughs> they haven't talked about it. Later in the Rovers, Paul announces that he wants to move in with Billy. Billy's obsessive tidiness counters neatly with Dee Dee's catastrophe. Yeah, but Paul's not exactly tidy himself. But- Why does he just blame Dee Dee for that? But Paul wants to make sure they're both 100% sure first. He wants this to be the last time he does this kind of thing. And I'm thinking, now, kind of yikes at that. Yes. Back home, they tell Summer the good news. They might move in at a later date. Belter, says Summer. On Wednesday, it's rent day for Paul, but Dee Dee offers to cover it because Paul's not working and is a bit skint. No worries, says Paul, and he'll take it out of his... He says he's going to take it out of his loan. Plus, he has a meeting with Gadas to figure out how much compo he might be able to swindle out of Carla. And Nina's rolls Not later. really swindle. No. And Nina's rolls later, Paul sees Gemma, who has a face like a yard of gravy. She's down in the dumps because the wedding venue need more money up front or they're going to lose the booking. This sends Paul home to arrange for more money to be sent to Gemma, but then Dee Dee overhears part of the conversation and is pissed that she was going to pay the rent earlier and now he's flashing the cash like the big man. Paul is betting everything on his big payday. Once he gets his compo, everything's going to be coming up, Paul. Mm-hmm. Later, Billy and Paul are at the doctor appointment. Paul's had no improvement, and if anything, it's got worse. Gallus thinks this should have got better, so refers him to a neurologist. Isn't that about the brain, says Billy, and, ah. sh- and asks if we should be worried. And also the nerves, Dr. Gallus very gently points out to a very smart bishop archbishop archdeacon archdeacon whatever no just archdeacon (laughs) should we be worried asks billy and no one answers him in the pub Gemma is happy now that she's been able to pay off her wedding venue Dee Dee thinks paul is the sweetest stupidest man in the world and i think she's got a point yes in conversation he mentions that he's got a referral from the doctor and is acquainted with a more serious health prognosis with extra compo Dee Dee makes that face people do when they don't think the thing the person they're talking to has said was accurate, but they don't want to burst their bubble just yet. Nope. On Friday, it's a busy day for Paul. He has an appointment with Dee Dee, who he lives with, and an appointment with a neurologist. Gadas might be a shite GP, but her referrals get picked up quicker than shite off a shovel. Billy also has a busy day hanging around the flat in his religious gear, not doing anything, and then nipping to the cafe in the pub later. He does have to meet the bishop, but who the fuck knows what that means? 
Paul drops in at the law office. Dee Dee tells him that if this was to go to court, he's going to need witness statements, including, and preferably, one from Peter. The case will be stronger if Peter can confirm that Carla was loopy when the accident happened and there's no way to win without upsetting people because Paul really doesn't want to upset anybody. Right, because he is the kindest, stupidest man on the street. Right. Peter turns up to see Paul before his hospital appointment and is fucking furious with him about the witness statement stuff that he's just heard about from Dee Dee. He accuses Paul of milking his injuries for all they're worth and calls Paul and Bernie con artists, which is rich considering how he came into the possession of the £15,000 in the first place. Correct. And how he tried to con Paul into taking just $15,000. Yeah. Peter really should know better. Right? He really should. <laughs> Apart from all those things, when he's accusing Paul of faking his injuries and you don't even look You don't Ill. even look sick. Well, look at Carla. Right. You yes. know, and all her psychoses and stuff that she's had over the years and currently she doesn't look like somebody who's sick. Well, let's remember, she doesn't actually have a psychosis at the moment. Right. She has an LSD addiction that she didn't even know she had. I don't Not think it's an addiction. addiction. No. You know what I mean? Yeah. At the hospital, the neurologist has ordered a battery of tests and an MRI and doesn't think any of this has been caused by a bruised nerve. Oh, by the way, that was a... Does it count when he's not in the hospital bed wearing Uh, a gown? Yeah, he's at the hospital. Oh, right. Haven't used that in a while. Surprisingly. Wasn't it just last week that Carlo was in a hospital bed and we used it? No, I don't think I've hit that button in a while. thought it was just last week. Oh, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> if you know, keep it to yourself. <laughs> Paul's back at the law office now to tell Didi about the hospital appointment and how the injury has nothing to do with the crash. Paul's back at the law office to tell Didi about the hospital appointment and how the injury has nothing to do with the crash. This isn't going to affect my compo, is it? Nope, says Dee Dee. It's totally fucked. Back home, Paul tells the same story to Billy. Paul has no idea what to do and wonders if he could maybe knock up Peter for the 15 grand after all. Billy makes that Billy face. That would be a con, he says, and Paul pretends that he never said it. Later, Billy gets ready for work, which means nipping out for a kebab. He's worried about Paul's finances, but Paul insists that he's on top of it. Hearing through his phone that they've been talking about the loan, he gets a text from the loan company advising him of the 25% weekly interest rate that's going to double every week. Oh my God. The loan company is called No Stress Payday Loans. Yeah. No stress for who? For the loan company. So he's been given three weeks to pay back this five grand. Right. And he's getting charged 25% interest that's going to double every week. So in a month, he's probably going to owe like 15 grand or something like that. I mean, a few years ago, you'd maybe forgive someone for not knowing what they were getting into with a payday loan. Right. But these days, in this financial climate, Uh everybody knows about these, the the stupidity that's involved in these things, especially when... That your method of paying it back is really on the never never. You you don't know how long this is going to take. No. And even if it's going to get fixed pretty quickly, it's still not going to get fixed in a month. No. So I don't know, Paul's his own worst enemy sometimes, yes. but really And he's not very bright. Let's remember. Well, clearly not. 
or not right this way. But that's why you speak to people about these things. Say to Billy, do you think I should get this loan just to tide me over? Well, let's remember, Billy told him that this loan was a bad idea. Dee Dee told him that this loan was oh, a bad that's idea. True, that's true, that's true. Back home, Paul is finally having regrets about taking out that stupid loan. Dee Dee again offers to pay his rent for him, but he insists that he'll have money by the end of the day, and he rushes out, leaving Dee Dee holding two carrots. Paul finds Peter in the bistro in another storyline. Both are apologetic for earlier. I should damn well hope so that Peter's apologetic for earlier. Paul wants to know if the 15 grand is still on the table. Peter says that he spent five of it on Carla's medical costs, but offers Paul what's left, and then that's going to be the end of it. Paul agrees, but then immediately his conscience gets the better of him, and he fucks the deal again and rushes out, leaving Peter going, what? Back home again. Paul admits the financial mess that he's in and how desperate he is. Dee Dee tells him to hang in there and mentions some charities that might be able to help out. Paul thinks he might be able to get some cash back off Gemma. But when he goes to see Gemma, who was suddenly sober after the Hindu, she's made a best uncle in the universe poster and explains that she's just got a confirmation email from the wedding place. Now what did you want to see me about? Paul pretends to shut himself, makes his excuses and leaves, but not before Gemma asks him to be her best man. And that's as far as we get with that this week. That was delightful. Which bit? Gemma asking him to be her best man. Which, <laughs> oddly, is the second time somebody asks somebody this week to be in their wedding and tears are shed. <coughs> More on this later. Yeah, I just don't like the whole trope of, oh, this has happened and this has happened and now this is going to happen. But what was it you wanted to talk to me about? Right, yeah. Oh, nothing. Right. I don't like that. No, it's it happens kinda, a lot. It's kind of lazy and it does happen a lot. Well, and also we're continuing this this idea that this this family is is very bad with money and because they are so very poor and they have so many children and mm-hmm. you know, the poverty porn sort of thing just continuing. Right. Specifically just with this family. Nobody else seems to be affected by any sort of aspect of the recession they'll they'll mention they'll mention it in the right. passing but you don't really have any nobody else is any having money troubles no uh, and yet but there are people who who have this kind of relationship with money that right but let's let's remember there are three working adults in that household and all three of them have more than one job they should not be having this much money troubles compared to other households that do not have the same amount of income coming in. No. And no one has any savings unless it's unless it helps the plot along. Right. And yeah. then somebody will either win a lottery or get a scratch card or, right. yes. or find Rufus's watch in the footwell of their car. Right. Something will happen to suddenly inject a, a bank account with some money, but I don't know. I do feel sorry for Paul. I do think he brings an awful lot of it on by himself. But right, but for the very best of reasons. Right, but I'm glad that we can all now agree that the injury that he's got didn't come from that bike accident where no. he gently toppled over. Yes, and yet, why is that when it started? Why? Why must I mean? I know correlation does not equal causation, but. The fact that it starts right after that is it's kind of lazy writing, isn't it? 
maybe uh, exacerbated the problem. Mm, possible. I mean, the show has spoiled the show again in a couple of tweets, which we're not going to mention here. We are not. But we know that the the injury that that Paul has is a, a bit more serious than well, a bit more serious. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's technically quite more not serious. an injury, right? And as it's come out, has nothing to do with the the accident, which which is good because it clearly didn't. Mm-hmm. But this leaves him in a very difficult place, and I don't know where Billy's going to. Is Billy going to be able to help him? I don't know because I don't know how much does an archdeacon make. Uh, who knows. And imagine the guilt that poor Gemma is going to be living under. Oh, seriously. First of all, the, the gas bill or the right. lucky bill, and now the, the wedding is going to leave a very nasty taste in the mouth when all all is said and done. I don't know, it kind of seems like he's in such a, a hole with this for a, a five grand debt that's going to turn into something that's much, much bigger very quickly. I don't know what the rules of bankruptcy are in the UK, but it almost feels like you'd be better just... Filing for bankruptcy. Just write the whole thing off, right? right? What what sort of protections are there for for people with certain issues where they can't work? Well, I, I think doctor's letters are, are useful in this kind of situation. Maybe for... Maybe to get some kind of debt forgiveness, if, if not for for the, the the five grand maybe for the interest or something like that i don't know but I, I, I don't know how how welcome stress-free payday loans are going to to be to to that kind of attempt to get a repayment mm-hmm. at least carla has one less thing to worry about i guess oh well good for carla right miss richie rich wealthiest lady on the street but is she even wealthy I don't know what her personal... She's living in a flat above a cab office. Well, she's wealthier... Very, very earthy tones right enough, but... She's she's wealthier than 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 Paul and Gemma and... Right. Yeah, you know. I mean, Peter can't possibly be making an awful lot in that cab office. No. So, it must be all of her income coming in, which she's not... I mean, is she still getting paid? She must be salaried. You'd have thought so. So. Oh, well. Let's oh move well. on then to our next storyline, Canadian Psycho. On Monday, Stephen and Sarah are... E-A-E-A-E-A-E-A. Oh? How long have you been dying to say that? <laughs> Stephen and Sarah open the factory to a tribe of knicker people very happy to be at work as Stephen is going to sign the American, non-American deal later mm. today. Anina rolls, Peter's off to see Carla and Roy is keen to visit soon. It seems the doctors have her on new medication. Will someone please blood test this woman? Well, the LSD would be out of her blood by now, I would think. In the factory, Michael is asking for Stephen to be his mentor when Peter comes in and catches wind from Sean that Stephen is now in charge of the factory. Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Peter is fuming about this and tells the knicker people that they've betrayed Carla by voting her out of her own company. Peter reminds them of who got them their fucking shares in the first place. Sally and Izzy tried to explain, but Peter cannot be reasoned with. And then Rufus comes in, wondering if he's come at a bad time. Mm-hmm. And Rufus is stalled to the end of the day when all the knicker people have gone back to their caves. It's just him and Stephen as Rufus tells Stephen to kill the American deal and give him the exclusivity that was promised to him. 
The contract needs to be torn up or else he's spilling the beans. Rufus goes to leave and Stephen grabs his trusty hole punch and is about to cave Rufus's skull in when Michael comes in to talk about the American deal. Rufus leaves and Stephen drops the hole punch. A lucky escape for old Rufus there. Yes. In the middle of the working day. In the middle of the wo- With the door open <laughs> and the shades up. That's Stephen. <sighs> That's Stephen. I'm sure I've got that sound oh, effect. Yeah. <laughs> Peter's back in the inner That's rolls. my Wilhelm scream. Ooh. It's not very good. My name's not Wilhelm. No. Peter's back, even if it was, I, I doubt that it was going to make much difference. Peter is back in Nina's roles complaining about the knicker people to Roy. Peter has had to keep this from her for now, which is easy because she's doped out of her tits, but this time on prescription meds. So that makes it okay. The knicker people are in the rovers and apologise again when Peter comes in. Peter explains about the small print and how Stephen could oust Carla for good, which nobody had given any thought to. Of course they haven't. The knicker people hadn't thought of that, so as they suggest that they all ignore the problem and hope that it goes away. But Sean has a private word with Peter and explains why they think they were doing the right thing and he asks if he could visit Carla, saying how she was a lifesaver for him in the past. Nice of him to remember. Yes, and, and he's near tears. Yes. In fact, I think, he, I think he maybe even was crying. Peter agrees. Meanwhile, at the factory, Stephen is weighing up his options and comes to a conclusion and tears up the contract and then starts throwing blue recycling bins around his office. <laughs> On Wednesday, in the factory, Stephen is calling the non-American Americans to call off the deal, but he has to cut the call short when Sarah comes in and he spins a very different story to her, telling her that they pulled out. No way. And I like that. No way, says Sarah. Way, says Stephen. A sphincter says what, says Wayne from Wayne's World. And the knicker people are going to kill us. And also, swing. <laughs> Meanwhile, in her fancy rehab room, Peter is visiting Carla, who's looking a lot better now that she's not having her drink spiked with LSD. Carla has been thinking about her plan for when she gets back home, and she's definitely going to take a step back at the factory and delegate more. Oh, Peter has some news on that front. Stephen and Sarah have got her voted out. This takes the shine off Carla's day a wee bit, but she pragmatically thinks it's probably for the best. Then Carla's day is made much worse when Peter tells her that Sean wants to come visit. (laughs) Back at the factory, Rufus turns up to make sure Stephen's killed the American non-American deal. Rufus thinks Stephen is a peculiar wee fish and asks him what he would have done if Carla had done what people typically do on LSD and jumped off a building. Meh, she didn't, says Stephen, who wants to know when Rufus will be expanding into the US market and they can start recouping their losses. When I'm good and ready, old chap, says Rufus, who's really starting to grow in me. Yeah, me at, too. At least we know. Now that he's not misogynistic anymore and just out to get Stephen. Right. Now I'm happy. Now at that le- he's on a woman's side. At least we know why Carla's loopy, but you, says Rufus. Stephen is furious, but doesn't reach for his trusty hole punch this time. Not this time. And that's as far as we get with that. What do you think? I think Stephen's going to kill again, and I think he probably is going to kill Rufus. Because <sighs> Rufus is expendable. He's just another Teddy. He's just another sinkhole Leo. He's a bit character who's in for a short period of time. If someone's going to get their skull caved in, it's probably going to be Rufus. Either that or this is how he's finally caught. 
I'm starting to think that Stephen actually likes killing people. You think? <laughs> you know, it's the not... way that he just very quickly says, thinks to himself, well, I guess I got to bash another head in <laughs> in the middle of the workday with my door open and my blinds open. Hey. That this is the way to fix my problem. Mm-hmm. No other way to fix my problem but moiter. <laughs> yeah, he, he's obviously developed a taste for it. He has, as you say, developed a taste for it. This is how serial killers happen. It's, how many... Two's not serial killer, is it? No, but three would be. Three, yeah. The difference between serial killer and mass murder... Mass murder happens all, all at, at once. once. All at once. That's yeah. yeah. It's good to get these terms cleared up. No, this is... I'm sorry. I'm still enjoying this. And I know... I know. I'm, I feel like I'm in the minority here. You are. But... Because I hate him. I didn't hate him as much this week because he wasn't drugging anyone. Or belittling women. Except a uh-huh. little bit to Sarah. Yeah. But that's okay because it's Sarah. And Rufus says, would you have drugged Sarah? Oh, I'd never do anything to hurt my niece. He would totally kill his niece if push came to shove. He tr- almost, he very nearly drugged his mother. Remember that? And then after he'd put the drugs in her drink, that's when he grew a conscience and knocked the wine glass over. Yep. He absolutely would murder members of his own family to get ahead. And none of this makes sense because he was so desperate to get out of town. I believe you might have mentioned that once or twice. Right. And now all of a sudden he doesn't want to get out of town, even though he's murdered two people whose bodies are very findable. Well, we're assuming Leo's body is findable. We We still don't know where it is. But Teddy's, his body is in a shell in a very shallow canal. He's probably in Weatherfield drinking water by now. Bits of him, probably. (laughs) Reminds me of that time that I peed in the Glasgow Reservoir. And all of Glasgow had to drink my pee. All of Glasgow? All of Glasgow. Some of Glasgow. You were dying right enough. (laughs) It was a lot of pee. (laughs) I am a filthy, filthy American. I've scattered my mom's ashes up there as well. I'm sure some of it must have got into the reservoir. Some of it is in the backyard, though. Yeah. We've bird shit in that all the time. Right. And other animals shitting it all the time. Fish. Yes. That's what water is. <laughs> yes. Just fish pee. Yes. You heard it here first. <laughs> no, I'm, t- I'm still liking this. I'm liking, Ruf- I'm liking Rufus more and more. I know. As- I don't want anything to happen to Rufus now. Um, so weird. Because he is, he's totally the match for Stephen. Yes. He's, he's smarter than Stephen. Yes. He got him to rip up that contract without any promise. And he didn't have to kill anybody. No. <laughs> yeah. I'm kind of team Rufus on this. Yes. If he could just tone the misogyny down a little bit. Well, he has toned the misogyny down. Yeah, He's but mis- still, it still lingers a little bit, I think. I don't think so. I think so. He still has that kind of look about him. <laughs> <clears throat> but no, I do, think I do think it's a matter of time before he kills again. I worried about Audrey, obviously. Mm-hmm. I've worried about Tim's mum. I worry about Carla. <clears throat> Worried. I don't think Carla's in any danger, but seriously, I think 
I think Rufus should be reading his contract. Well, let's move on then to our next storyline, which is what a good boy. Aww. Oofed. Come on, let's be. Let's be brave. Let's be brave adults here. Let's be brave. On Monday, Evelyn and Fizz are in the Rovers. Evelyn is still pissed off about Roy standing up from last week for from her birthday. She pretends she doesn't care and blames him being stuck to his phone, so Fizz has to explain about Carla. Evelyn immediately goes to Nina's roles to apologise, but Roy also wants to apologise, and they talk about Carla and Roy taking responsibilities, but Evelyn takes a pragmatic approach and tells him to stop beating himself up. What about Peter? What about Gadas? The woman is ill and is now in hospital, and she tells Roy to do something practical, so Roy decides to bake her a cake. Meanwhile, Cerberus seems to have been munching on something behind the counter. Uh-oh. And we don't really know what it is, but the camera yeah. lingers on it a little bit, so we know it's something... Back home, Evelyn is a little concerned when Cerberus is off his food and she made him his favourite in everything. Plenty of life in the old dog, she says, but she's obviously uneasy about this sudden turn of events. <clears throat> On Wednesday, Evelyn hasn't slept a wink with worry about Cerberus who keeps being sick. Tyrone suggests going to the vet, but Evelyn thinks it's daylight robbery just to get told to feed the dog chicken and rice. So she goes to Dev's and buys chicken and rice. <laughs> but when she comes home with it, Cerberus has taken a turn for the worst and doesn't greet Evelyn when she comes in. Tyrone really wants to go at the vet and Evelyn finally agrees. You get the car, I'll go get his blanket, she says. Yeah. And that was when I first started to <clears throat> have to clear my throat a oh, little bit. Oh, and it's so sweet how much Tyrone has grown to love this dog as well, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. So the vet, Evelyn explains that Cerberus is a good boy. And the vet suggests some tests on an x-ray to see just how much of a good boy he was, but wonders if he's maybe eaten something while out on a walk. Evelyn gives him a very long hug before she leaves him, because the vet says, you, you might as well go home while this is all going on. Mm -hmm. So while they're waiting, Evelyn goes to Nina's roles, where Roy comes over and he gets an update on the Cerberus situation. Roy tells her that he thinks Cerberus might have eaten an Eccles cake from the floor, which is full of currants, and they're fatal for dogs. Right, yes, this is, this is an Eccles cake. That was supposed to go to Billy earlier and Roy dropped it because his phone dinged because of a chess move from a chess game that he's playing with someone in Hawaii. Yeah, he was distracted by an online chess game and Evelyn is the third person this week to be fucking furious. She goes back to the vet for the results and it is not good news. Cerberus's kidneys have shut down and the humane course of action would be to put Cerberus to sleep. Oh, <clears throat> so she goes to see him to say goodbye and it's perhaps the most heartbreaking thing I've ever seen as Tyrone and Evelyn bubble away as Evelyn thanks Cerberus for being such a very good boy. Tyrone can't deal yeah. with it and yeah. has to leave. he has leave. to leave. Oh. And she <clears throat> calls him the King of Weatherfield. Prince. The Prince, Prince of, of Weatherfield. Weatherfield. We have had to let a few animals go. A couple of animals I go. Think lo I think lots of people can relate to this, yeah. right? We had to let our, our teddy dog go in 2018, and that was just... That was so difficult for both of us. Well, he was... Uh, he was round about 20. Yes. And... So, it, it incredibly <sighs> older than, than poor Cerberus. Right. And, and they looked at... Yes, he did. <laughs> he was an old man. He was a very old man. He was an old man from when I, I when reckon I met him. Yeah. <laughs> which was around, around like six, years, age. six years previously. 
but that um, that moment when you have to to make that decision when we were when we were there with Teddy, he had he just couldn't get up anymore. No, and so he was. It looked like he was uh, skydiving. Yeah, he just built the floor with his legs, right. legs spread out, and so we gave it overnight. Put some water next to him, and uh, seen how it went in the morning. It wasn't any better in the morning. No. If a dog's not drinking water and can't get up, it's not a great sign. Yeah. And you know they're they're thinking that they can at the vet's place that they'll do some tests and stuff, and it's going to cost five hundred bucks. Right. And, and at that point, you have to to make a you have to make a decision whether you think this is going to make any difference or not, right. or has the dog really reached the end of his life? Right. And, has lived a very full life. Yeah. And you. And it's not just a monetary decision, but right. But it does have to play a part in it. Quality of life decision. But it's a quality of life decision, and saying goodbye to your dog is just fucking the worst thing you can. <laughs> one of the worst things you can be asked to do as an adult. Yeah. Is yeah. to make that decision and sit, and they say to you, you know, you don't have to be here for it, and it's like, right. like, why could wouldn't you, you, could you live to... your, with yourself if you didn't? Yeah. I, 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 you know, I've, I've heard that say that there are people that just drop their animal off and are not there for their animal Ugh, at the end. I and imagine. I just, I can't imagine. So, yeah, I mean, when you have this animal that's more or less grown up with your children. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's, it's, it's very tough. And then we had to say goodbye to our sweetie cat last year or just like six months ago, five months ago been fairly recent hasn't it i don't think it's been about a year has it yeah no you're probably right anyway ever since the pandemic time means nothing who knows and that was tough too i couldn't even go with you because she was my wee friend she was my wee pal she sat with me when i was working right and i still worked from home so this is a, a a tough moment in people's lives and I I don't know the reasons for for service going out of it, mm-hmm. whether it's because his owner thought you know he's, he's old enough now he needs yeah. he needs a bit of peace and, and yeah, quiet he needs and to stuff. retire, or if because Evelyn's gone off to do her one woman show, show yes. or Maureen Lipman as Evelyn's yes. not going to be doing that. <clears throat> <laughs> Can you imagine if she was <laughs> right? If, if that had anything to do with it, but this moment gave Maureen Lipman. I wonder if she was like, finally, this gives me a chance to get some acting out here. Right, yeah. Because she did an incredible she acted job. the hell out of that scene. Oh my God. Oh. She's like a completely different character, but she's exactly that character. Right. But that side of her, when she finally let her guard down mm-hmm. and she allowed herself to cry, she's saying goodbye to her. Right. This constant friend of hers, her right. best friend, as she said. Oh my God. I was like, oh, your tears streaming down my face watching this right <laughs> and although it was dark and although it no there's nothing funny here although mm-hmm. she did have a couple of quips that, she did. that were that were, were quick and were yes. funny it's a very serious a very dark moment uh-huh. but when you look at what this show is about and what the show used to be about mm. give me give, give me, me this, this. 
every day of the week before you give me guns and before you give me gangsters and before and you rape give me things exploding. And druggings and LSD. It's like, it's like it, it proves that, that what what we love about Coronation Street doesn't even need to be the lighter side of it, the humour side of it. No. It just has to be a real, real life. Yes, give us realness. Something that we can relate to. Right. Because, I mean, this was a, just an incredible moment and so, 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 so sad. Yeah. But done brilliantly well. And like I said, just something that a lot of people can relate to. Mm-hmm. It was amazing. It was. Back in the street, Roy sees Evelyn come home with the lead and the collar and no dog. And that was just another, just what a great shot oh. of Roy far down the street. And you don't even see Evelyn's head, just her, her midriff and the, the lead and the collar. Mm-hmm. And that tells you everything you need to know. Yeah. It's, it's brilliantly done. At home, Evelyn pretends that she's fine as Hope gets upset. Tyrone is worried about Evelyn, but she believes in the power of bottling up. Later in the pub, Tyrone explains to Roy that service had been put to sleep. Tyrone doesn't think a Neckles cake has made that much of a difference because his kidneys were shutting down. But Roy thinks it's accelerated the process and he can't make it right. And that's the thing that I think just Roy struggles with the most is that there's nothing he can do to make this better. I found it very interesting, Evelyn, talking about, you know, the importance of bottling it up Mm. when in... The previous storyline with with Carla, she says very frankly to to Fizz that, you know, you really need to take care of your mental health and mental health is important. And in my day, if you hadn't had three mental breakdowns um, by the time your kids were out of school, then you aren't trying. Yeah, this is Carla talking about other people, though. Evelyn. Sorry, yeah, this is Evelyn talking about other people. And I think she very much has one rule for others and one rule for herself. That's true. Back in Nina's roles, Nina tries to explain that it was just an accident. It could have happened to anyone. But Roy is in the mood to blame himself and he won't hear a word of it. Yeah. And he goes around to see Evelyn and to apologise. But Evelyn isn't about to accept it and asks him if he won his chess game, which she is embarrassed to say that he did. He tells her that he deserves nothing but her contempt. But he is sorry. She tells him the friendship died with her dog. What a good line that was as well. Yeah. On Friday. Oh, and then when he walks out and there's the leash Mm. and the collar just hanging on the stair post. Right. Another great scene in the storyline. Right. Yeah, really bringing it home. Yeah. On Friday, Evelyn is packing some junk away to give room for Cerberus's urn. Hope suggests burning uh, the ashes in Victoria Gardens next to Scylla the Chinchilla. And after some thought... Evelyn agrees. Roy is still beating himself up about Cerberus and has given the inside and outside of Nino's roles a deep clean. Yes. Too little, too late, says a passing Evelyn. She has Cerberus in a lovely smoke blue urn. With a paw print. And promises never to set foot in the cafe again. Right. And then Nina makes a quip about bleach. (laughs) Abby comes along and joins the line of people telling Roy that Cerberus's death is not his fault. Roy, though has taken drastic action and swears off that distracting phone, something that he says he should have done long ago. Next time, Nina, you can just fucking drown. (laughs) So Nina goes to see Evelyn to make a plea for Roy, who would never knowingly harm an animal. And everybody knows this. 
Tyrone knows this. Right. And I think Evelyn knows this as well. Right. She's just holding on to this because this is this is the only outlet she has yeah, for her grief is anger. To focus on, yep. But when she learns that Roy has sworn off his sworn off his phone now, this seems to make her melt a little bit. Poor Hope, meanwhile, is still very sad as she and Tyrone pick out flowers for the Cerberus burial thing. Roy passes along and Tyrone invites him, saying that he's going to be welcome. At the funeral, Hope and Ruby surprise even by saying some words about the etymology of Cerberus. And Roy does come along and asks if he can stay. And Evelyn doesn't say nothing, but allows it. And that's as far as we get with that this week. Oft. Such an emotional, a draining emotional ride. Yes, absolutely. And again... More of this. It bears repeating that you can have far more flashier storylines happening which are, which are designed to pull at your emotions and designed mm-hmm. to to manufacture a response from you and you know get you get you aware of things and get you to knowingly think about things and consider things and and all that good stuff but the simplicity of a old woman having to say goodbye to your dog it just does it so much better. It does. And so much easier. And it just seemed to inspire so much out of the show in general. Yeah. Like we said, the, some of the shots were just beautifully done. The script for all of that... Was great. I think it was Damon Rochford that wrote it. was was wonderful. And you know, Damon writes some, some of the wittier episodes of the uh-huh. street. But this kind of shows that, you know, it's got a really good heart as well for for writing the 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 other side of the coin right and as we've pointed out there was quite an awful lot of wit in this Mm storyline and that was the good thing about it as well there's that kind of gallows humor right that that people say in moments like that Mm -hmm. because because they don't know what to say i guess and and to try and lighten the mood a little bit right but there's that little moment where tyrone says are you all right gran Uh uh-huh Oh, what a stupid question she says as she looks right. up and is like... Yeah. Oh. What the hell's wrong with you? <laughs> Seriously, Tyrone. Tyrone. Yeah. So, that's Cerberus. That's Cerberus. Loved that dog. What an oh. elegant, beautiful dog. First Eccles and now Cerberus. The legs on him. Just enormous. <laughs> when I look at the legs on that dog and I look at the legs on our Dobby, I think that that's the same... <laughs> It's the same species. Right. They have the same body. It's just <laughs> what has what has the proper legs. <laughs> yeah. Our Dobby dog has very short legs. Yes. A very long body. Very <clears throat> long body. Teeny tiny legs. Anything else about that? Yeah, no, just you know, just reinforcing the fact that this is this is the sort of storyline we like that has an emotional impact. And it, it, it doesn't have to shock, it doesn't have to scintillate, it doesn't have to put people in jeopardy, you know. It just it just is. Right. And we like that. And I tell you, after it was done, mm-hmm. I did shout on our Dobby dog to come in and I gave him a, you gave a, him a special wee hug head. and Aww. gave him a wee treat. He was a good, he's a good boy. He is a good boy, mostly. Moving on then, our next storyline is, we're still not calling Aaron, are you know what yet? <clears throat> on Monday, Amy is round the rovers trying on her bridesmaid's dress. What did you think of her bridesmaid's dress? What the hell <laughs> is Daisy thinking? 
That does not seem like a Daisy sort of bridesmaid's dress at all to me. Remember, she's getting all this free. So I think she has to take what she's given. Still. Still. I don't think it was nice, but I don't know anything. Far too much lace for uh, for a woman Amy's age. Yeah, it was a bit frumpy, wasn't it? Was yeah. it frumpy? Is that the right word? I don't know. I don't, it's it's not age appropriate. Tracy is there and says she's going to miss Amy when she moves back out, but Amy says she's not going to move back out. She's blaming it on not being able to afford the rent. She's just going to stay at number one if that's right. all right. And Tracy says yes. Daisy hopes that Amy will be there for the hen night, but Amy snaps that she won't be going anywhere near it, and she stomps out, leaving Daisy for my bridesmaid's not coming to my hen night. Well, this is going to be great. You're not really friends with her. I don't think she's going to make all that much of a difference, is it? Well, they're family. And in the roles later, Amy asks Summer to tell Aaron that she's moving out. And Summer's only too pleased to do that because she is unbearably happy at the moment. Hmm. On Friday at the garage, Abby's on the phone to Kev, who, and I was like, and he's in Germany. And I'm like, oh, that's right. He's, he's in, in Germany. because his dad's on his deathbed. Is it dad or mum? Dad. Dad. Bill. Mum's already dead, yes. Their mum's already dead. I hope dead. so, because they buried her. <laughs> <laughs> well, she wasn't dead then. She's dead now. She is, isn't it? Aaron comes along with breakfast pasties. He's hiding from Ed about the rent. Abby suggests that he gets in touch with Amy for her share. And later, Aaron and Summer and Nina Rolls talk about singing at work. Summer can't remember any sing-alongs at the factory, but that's because she was only there for a day and a half and didn't come back after lunch. Out of the blue, Aaron asks Summer to move back in with him. Summer thinks it's a big thing. No, it was a big thing when they moved in together for the first time. Summer doesn't know if they're ready and wants to take it slowly like Billy and Paul. Who are like twice their age. Right, yeah. (laughs) But, you know, in fairness, she's probably right. Yes. For once. Probably, right. Also, someone doesn't have a job, so it would be useless in helping with the rent, so I don't know why Aaron right. was so keen to get her to move in. Later, back at the garage, Ed throws Aaron out the flat over the phone. Abby has an idea and invites him to keep it there for the time being until he gets something else sorted out. Mm. So Aaron moves into number 13 with Abby. Tracy sees this happening and is confused, so Abby explains that Aaron and Amy have had a falling out, which is contrary to what Amy told Tracy. And that's as far as we get with that this week. Yes. I I kind of wish that they hadn't left so much time between yeah. this story. Yeah, yeah, me too. But, you know, they have to spread out the dread. And <laughs> I guess. And, and, yet, and yet they aren't spreading it out enough because as many people have pointed out on the Twitter and as many of us, as, as we ourselves have pointed out multiple times, piling on this type of storyline over and over and over again reduces the impact of all of them. Right. So cut it out, Coronation Street. Yeah. I don't think we had anything about it last week or we just had a a couple of scenes about it. Not very much about it this week either. As far as I can make out this, because this happened on Friday, this will be a storyline next week. Next week. And it seems like... And I hope we start to get some progression on it. And I, and I hope that Amy tells somebody what happened. Right. I mean, yeah, because the, the way that she freaked out about the champagne, we know why she freaked out about the champagne. She freaked out about the champagne and she freaked out about the hen, hen night. Yeah. So, 
She didn't want to drink. So I think Tracy, knowing now that there's been some animosity between Aaron and Amy, that now that she's got her teeth in it, she's not going to let it go until she no. finds out. And I really hope so, because this because is... Because then she will moiter him. Yeah, I don't want to be in Aaron's shoes at all. No. And then that will cause... This, this is going to cause a rift in Abby and Tracy's friendship. Because Abby has kind of taken Aaron under her wing because she relates to Aaron because to her, Aaron is kind of like Seb in that he has a parent with addiction issues mm. and so has kind of been left to the wind. So right. by saving Aaron, in a way, she's saving her own kids who she no longer has. So this is, this is beyond just the young the young people's crowd, this is going to expand to a much bigger thing amongst the adults on the street. Yeah, and also what Summer going to say when she finds out. Right. Because the old Summer... I don't care. The old, well, no. But the old <laughs> Summer would, would believe Amy. Right. And I'm not so no. sure that this Summer no. would. No. This Summer is going to say, how could you sleep with my boyfriend? Mm-hmm. And, and try to get Asha and Nina to take Aaron's side. Like, can you believe that she slept with my boyfriend? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm, they're I'm, about due another breakup anyway, so... No. Well, we will see what happens next week, but we will be off, just a reminder. Yes. So... So, talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> Our penultimate storyline tonight is, did you live in Ibiza, Ryan? You never mention it. On Wednesday, Ryan meets Alvia. Madeline, hmm? Madeline, did I ever tell you that I went to space camp? <laughs> Ryan meets Alvia on the street, and as he's asking her for a catch-up at the bistro, she freaks out a bit when a car toots its horn. Later at the bistro, Ryan is helping Daisy with some change when she starts talking about Daniel's god-awful song choices for the wedding, Katie Melua and the Smiths. An attractive stranger comes along and agrees with Ryan's appraisal. Daniel's taste in music is shite. Ryan recognises the girl. She's Crystal and she's a from Ibiza. She gives him her card and Daisy thinks that he's in there. I can't understand a word that this woman's saying. She's a um, she's a events promoter. I, I found that from the subtitles. Yes, but I would never have worked it out for myself. Really? You, you can't understand I her accent? I can't understand her. I don't know if she's just like quiet and mumbly, but she's quiet and mumbly. I can understand her. Oh, well, good for you. Well, go You've got it. the subtitles on as well. I don't. <laughs> Ahead of this catch-up with Alia, Ryan has drowned himself in aftershave, and, and now she's late. And then she's not late. He's just stood up. And all this But she does text. Brings it home to him that the two of them are poles apart, and he's talking to Nick about this. I don't know if Nick's the best person in the world to be speaking to about mm. relationships, but anyway... Later, Crystal is in the Rovers because now she's never not in the Rovers and she's arranged to meet Ryan and she very much has tickets to his gun show. <laughs> it turns out that she's recently single, likes Graham Norton and Peep Show, and wouldn't you believe it, this is exactly what Ryan wanted to hear. Right, the two of them seem to be hitting it off famously. These are also things that Ryan likes. On Friday, Alia drops into the bistro for a coffee and to apologise to Ryan for yesterday. Ryan accepts, but doesn't mention to her that he's met Crystal, who we learn is an events promoter. The two of them have hit it off. 
Nick tells him to call Canny, worrying that she's either going to rip him off or force him to sleep with her. Later, Nick tells Ryan that he was only kidding earlier. He reminds him that he's only young once and he should trust his instincts. Trust his instincts. Never tell a young person this. Last time we did that, said Ryan, I was elbow deep in your safe. Wah wah! Yay, says Nick, but you've got to laugh. <laughs> he advises Ryan to talk to Alia about his plans because, you know, you, you either go to Ibiza and you have a wonderful time with her or you Stay. go with Alia and have a wonderful time with Alia. Right. So Ryan takes his advice and goes to see Alia at Speed Dahl to tell her about his plans to go back to Ibiza and she seems genuinely thrilled for him says so and seems to mean it and I didn't really pick up any lingering <clears throat> regret there from her did you? no not really which is sad back at the bistro Ryan gives Crystal the okay to her job offer Nick is surprised but Ryan says Alia gave her blessing maybe you worry about your own relationships Nick Ryan and Crystal continue to chat about Ibiza and one wonders what they'll talk about when they actually get there and that's as far as we get with that yes. or if they get there. Right. Because the number of times that Ryan has made plans to go to Ibiza. Right. And the number of times that Ryan's gone to Ibiza well, is zero. Yes. Apart from that time that he lived in Ibiza. Right. I kind of like Nick being the, the kindly Dutch uncle to... A little bit of a father figure to Ryan, yeah. yeah. To Ryan. Mm -hmm. it's, it's it's lovely. Um, <laughs> the amount of times... People are talking to one another in the bistro and Nick is just like right over their shoulder. <laughs> right. Listening, obviously listening in when maybe he shouldn't be. Was hilarious. Do you know what I noticed this week as well? When Paul got his text message from uh, the neurologist, Billy's leaning over his shoulder reading his texts. Yeah. Well, they're together, so it's fine. Beat at you. They're, they're together. It's fine. No, I don't think it's fine. I read your texts. No, you don't. That's what you think. No, you don't, because the only texts I get are for you. <laughs> no, you get them from Steve and sometimes from work people. Yeah. Hardly ever from work. On the WhatsApp? No, I don't have WhatsApp. Oh, what's the other one? What's the one you do have? Oh, Snapchat for some Snapchat, reason. Snapchat, yes. I hate Snapchat. It's awful. Yeah, I have neither. The only good thing about Snapchat... I get paid is, in paper checks. Is my, ...and read porn. <laughs> you get paid in porn. <laughs> Will work for porn. <laughs> Any other porn? No, that'll do it. Yeah. I'll, I'm I so know. proud of us that this is... That it took so long for us to... Worm the word porn back into our discussion tonight. We always call back. It's, it's the law. You have to call <laughs> back to porn. Because... We were ridiculous with the penis last week. Well, you were. <laughs> That's I, the way you like it. And I cut some of them out. <gasps> there were still too many. Shame on you. <laughs> buffalo penis. Buffalo penis. Too much buffalo penis is just too much buffalo penis. <laughs> Let's not go down that penis road again. <laughs> yeah. <coughs> I don't know if, uh, if Ryan's future is with Crystal, but... If you can figure out what she's saying, I'm sure they'll get on fine. Moving on then to our final storyline this, this evening is The Curse of Daisy's Mum. On Monday, in the Rovers, dum, dum, dum. Daisy has received the bad news that her band have now been snapped up, so she has no music. 
Jenny takes a piss out of Daisy asking Tracy to be a bridesmaid until Daisy asks Jenny to give her away. Jenny is a blubbering wreck at this. Fuck my mum and her feelings, says Daisy, which means that this move sounds a little bit more than a bit passive-aggressive. Mm-hmm. So as soon as Glenda catches wind of Daisy's band, Glenda wanders around the pub singing show tunes in an attempt to get the gig. This gives Daisy plenty of opportunity to make Tim from the office expressions. Tracy suggests Ken gets his handbells out and Amy plays the violin. Billy thinks Glenda is great because he's gay. Jenny tells Daisy she's either got the gig or not because she cannot stand no more. No mores can she stand. No. So Daisy grabs Ryan and tells him that he's going to be the DJ at the wedding. And then Ryan plays along and tells Daisy that it's going to be her wedding present. And Glenda is so disappointed she throws a box of crisps on the floor. Yes, this is... Glenda singing show tunes was amazing. More please. More please. I can't believe there was people who didn't like that. What do you want? People are dumb. People complain about Coronation Street not being funny enough. Glenda happens... Glenda just wanders into a scene singing La Bamba and people say, oh, I hated that. I don't think Corey's for you anymore. Right. If you don't think that that's funny, maybe Corey isn't for you. It's so camp. How can you not love it? The look on her face. She's full of joy. She's so happy. And the fact that really the only people who appreciated her bursting into song were the gay men. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. who requested more show tunes <laughs> some uh was it Shirley Bassey they wanted yeah I think so that was hilarious but this explains why in the last storyline that we discussed they were discussing Daniel's bad taste in music yeah yes because she had to give a list to Ryan of of songs Daniel wanted played at the wedding I absolutely adored this me too. And it was the sort of thing where it happens happens once and then it happens twice and you think, oh, I do hope this happens all through this episode. Right. And, and it, it more does. Or less, and it more or less did. It's great. And when she put a little flourish on someone, because she would celebrate good time, come on. Yeah. And then would celebrate good time, come on. Ow, ow. And that, that little five buck extra on the end of it. Right. Just beautiful. Very much more of that, please. Yes, please. On Friday, in the pub, Daniel arrives with some post-Hendu supplies for Daisy. This, says Daisy, this is why I'm marrying you. Yes, because of the face cream. Right. It's good that she points it out because no one else has the faintest fucking clue. Daniel thinks that he's having a stag do, but it's really a family meal at the bistro. Then Daisy's, with Steve. Then Daisy's mum arrives and I still have no idea what her name is. She has a few, a few surprises up her sleeve for the festivities, she says. Oh no! Daniel's stag night is exactly as you'd imagine. Steve, Ken and Adam are there, stone cold sober at three o'clock in the afternoon. Peter and- is, inverted commas, late. Daniel gets talking with Ryan, who asks after Daisy, who seemed to be taking it pretty rough the last time we spoke with her, and this is news to Daniel. Preparations are underway at the Rovers for Daisy's hen night, balloons and bunting. Great band. Gemma is in charge of the games. God help us all. Jenny has had the bright idea of getting personalised t-shirts, which means it'll make it easier for me to remember Daisy's mum's name. Right. And also, Gemma's disappointed that there are no strippers coming. At the stag do, Ken is talking about whiskey and tin tin. 
Right. And God knows why. And and how the name of a, a fictitious whiskey became the name of an actual whiskey or something. Or somebody thought that they were making up the name of a whiskey. But then it turned out to be a real whiskey. Why is he talking about this? What was the Why convers- are you talking about this? What was the conversation beforehand that led to this conversation? No one can remember. Daniel and Ryan talk some more about Daisy. Ryan revealing that Daisy had a panic attack. Daniel wants to go and talk to her about this thing that happened last week, but then Peter shows up and the moment passes. Right, and also they all tell him it's a terrible idea. Right. Sit your ass down and listen to Ken talk more. <laughs> Later, the Rovers is buzzing with people we've never seen before, and then two more people we've never seen before come in. It's Daisy's bullies, who've been invited along by Daisy's mum. The bullies are surprised that an influencer would be having a hen night in a place like this. I kind of like them at this point. (laughs) Daisy's mum is thrilled to see them both. Privately, Daisy complains to Daisy's mum about inviting the bullies, but her mum absolutely poo-poos it and says Daisy needs all the friends she can get. Despite low-level hostility between Daisy and her bullies, the bullies hang around and Daisy doesn't throw them out, although Rita has had a few and looks ready to rip their throats out. Which I loved. Prosecco Pong has been a roaring success, except the bullies and Daisy's mum continue to be bags. this time to Gemma, who, in a game of truth or dare, says that the craziest thing that she's ever done on public transport was have a wee. Well, and have one of four quads. Right, yes. Is is a gondola public transport? Is it private transport? Is it transport at all? Or is it just a ride up and back on a mountain? Takes you up a mountain. Of course it's transport. <laughs> Daisy is disgusted. Her mum takes the bully's side and calls Daisy a downer after all. Now, I know that we're supposed to hate Daisy's mum. But why does Daisy's mum hate Daisy? She really does. She hates her daughter. Well, she's already said, I never wanted to be a mother, so I resent your existence. But the fact that... So why show up then? Right. And the fact that, you know, once again, she just completely poo-poos her daughter's feelings and says, oh, you're just... Because she did this with the whole Justin thing. And now she's doing it with the whole bullies thing. It's like, listen to your daughter. Or, Or don't be there. Right. If she doesn't want these people here, you know, and and she's explaining that, you know, they were bullies to her when her brother died and her mother does not give a fuck about this because it wasn't her son, you know. Right. And it's just shut up and go away, you evil witch. I don't know what the point of it is. To be awful. To be to make Jenny look good. Oh, Jenny doesn't need that to look good, though. No, it's true. I mean, the whole to give to give to give Daisy a reason to ask Jenny. But this has happened already. This, this happened before. I know, but now, but to reinforce why that was the correct decision, because Jenny says to her, "Are you sure your mum won't mind?" I don't know if narratively that's that's required. We Probably already, not. We already know. I don't know. Maybe I, she, she's just there to be awful. I also I also don't know why the bully showed up just to be awful as well. Right. Yeah. And then not leave until Daisy tells them to leave, and then they do. That's bizarre. And right. 
If you don't like these people, if you're looking down your nose at these people, why stay? Why stay? I suppose they stay because they think it's hilarious that 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 they can look down their nose at, at Daisy and they take some thrill from that. And they look down their nose at Gemma and the right. pub in general and right. all that sort of stuff. But and the street. But did we, we have I no idea who the, who they are no. or how they live. They could be living just as badly. No, I am utterly confused about why why they were there, and I, and I honestly don't know why Daisy's mum has their back in this. It's just so weird, and I don't know if it's going to amount to anything. Well, it feels like this has just been it, and it's 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 because of what happens when when Daisy does kick them out. Is it? We should get to that because I don't even think that that's fucking worth mentioning either. Anyway. Daisy isn't having it and calls uh, them gormless bullies. Daisy's mum thinks that that's a vile thing to say, but it matters <laughs> not, as Daisy has got them all a taxi and she throws them out, telling her mum that she's not welcome at the wedding, which she never wanted her to be at in the first place. Correct. Daisy's mum's parting gift is to tell her that no woman in her family has ever had a happy wedding day and the curse has been passed on to her, so Corey has now become drag me to hell. <laughs> the bullies leave without saying cheerio, which is just plain rude. Hmm. Hen do over, Jenny and Daisy are through the back when Daniel comes in to explain the origins of not seeing the bride before the wedding and bouquets were actually deodorant. Daisy tells him about her mum's curse. Daniel tells her that there's no such thing as a curse and as he says this, his dingle falls off. (laughs) He tells her that tomorrow will be the best day of their lives, which even if all goes without a hitch, is highly unlikely. And that brings us on to this week's hard debate again. I thought we already... Two hard debates? Two hard debates? No. Of course we had two hard debates because this is a this has been a conversation interlaced with porn. <laughs> of course. So lots of hard things. That's another name of the magazine. Hard debate. <laughs> so the show has spoiled an upcoming aspect of the Daisy storyline and it's already been in media soap pages, but I'll keep this vague and we're not going to say what it actually is. I just asked folks who are aware of it how they feel about this direction. Do they approve? Do they not care? Do they disapprove? The don't care was 18.1%. The approve was actually higher than they expected it to be, 33.8%. Really? The disapprove was 48.1%. And what was our highest response poll for hard debate hmm. ever, I think? We'll have to say I'm, I'm in the camp of disapprove. Approve? That people approve just because they hate Daisy? No, I think people approve because they think it's an important storyline. That's another important storyline. But anyway, we're not going to talk about that. We'll mention that when we come back in a couple of weeks. Right. But a lot of people, like I said, have said they disapprove because it's just piling on. Yes. And that's that's how we end this week's episodes. Yes. And it is. It's piling on. Cut it out. Yeah, I think it was our friend Scott. A.K.A. Mersey Tart. Mersey Tart. Which, he uh, said that who would, it would have had a bigger impact if we hadn't had just blown Alia up and had Alia stabbed and had all the racism and had upscutting and had everything else that's been going on recently. And had Amy raped. Right. And had Maria stalked as well as Daisy stalked. Just another thing. And as we talk about just another thing, we've got the Paul just another thing that's going to become right. just another thing. Yeah. And 
you, 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 you list, need to spread these out. You list out your your storylines, and you think, well, what about this was wasn't just another thing, and the storylines that I really liked mm-hmm. that have had an impact on us were a good old fashioned potential affair and a dog dying, right? And <laughs> and you know, and before this, and I do like Canadian murders, but that's just me. Well, that's, you know, yet another thing with the drugging of Carla. Sure. You know, if it was just killing Sinkhole, Leo, and Teddy, that would have been fine. But the drugging of Carla just put it over into, you know, yet another thing that a man does to traumatize a woman. Yeah. Which there's too much of. And killing the- men is, is less, you know, piling on. Right. But um, no offense to men. I love men. And this storyline, like story though... I think if you try and look for some bright sides to it, uh, to what happened this week. Glenda. We had the Glenda thing, and that was great. On Friday, what I think we did see from Daisy's perspective was really her becoming almost a resident now in the Rovers. She's... Right, yeah. She's one of them now, yes. as opposed to one of the kind of bully-type people. But even when she started, she didn't even really seem like one of those bully type people because oh, she was she there with... She definitely had ideas was... above her station. She did think that the Rovers was beneath her mm. and the people that were there were beneath her. And she, did, right. she doesn't feel like that or she doesn't seem to feel like that anymore. No, and she's beloved by the rest, by these other women that have her back. You know, Rita yeah, and Gemma. Rita and Gemma and Glenda and, and Jenny... You know, they've they've got this tight-knit group that I think is quite lovely. Yeah, they do. That's true. So that's come out of it, at least. Right. Again, though, I am baffled by the mother stuff. I am baffled by the bully stuff. I'm baffled as to why the mother would even invite the bullies in the first place. And she kind of blames Daisy she, for it. For Well, she blames Daniel. Because Daniel was oh, the one yes. who reached out to them in the first place. But then once he found out, he kind of put the kibosh on it. But remember, it was the bullies that told her mother that she was getting married in the first place. Right. So it, it, it kind of feels like her mother is from the same sort of type of people as the bullies. You know, and she's and she did say a couple of weeks ago, Oh, come on, you know, these were your these were your very closest friends, don't you don't you miss them? And again, poo poos the fact that, you know, she's like, Oh, they've outgrown this but then when they obviously haven't outgrown this, she's like, Well, maybe you are a Debbie Downer Daisy after all, because mm. you're being so awful to these girls that you should think are your very best friends. It's 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 like the mother also lives above her station and thinks that she's hot shit. I mean, remember the part about the whole Justin, you know, thing about her dating Justin was, you know, she wasn't worried about Daisy. She was worried about whether or not Justin actually liked her for her. Oh, she's an awful, awful person. She's an awful person. But I don't know what the point of it is. I think the point is to show where Daisy came from. And why she was like what she was when she first started, and also to sh- and I also again, I think there's this supposed to be this huge contrast between Jenny and Christina, which is Daisy's mom's name. You know, and aren't, aren't we supposed to be trying to forget 
what Daisy used to be like? I don't know. I don't know. And it, it does feel like just extra piling on on uh, Daisy. And I guess it's meant to be foreshadowing for a very important storyline to happen on Monday. You know, and maybe that's it. Maybe that's all it is. is right. that this is the... I'm going to mention a curse, and that means something awful is going to happen on Monday. That's the, the calm before the storm kind of thing where... This doesn't actually mean anything. It's just there to eat up an episode right. before the big event right. kind of happens. But, you know, why not give Daisy a happy Hindu? Right. What, <laughs> right. what harm could that have done? In fact, it would make whatever is going to happen on Monday even worse if she had a really happy Hindu and was going in with no dread and full happiness. Yeah. Yeah, it's... It's baffling. It's a really baffling choice. The show makes a lot of choices that are baffling to us. I think we just need to accept that they make baffling choices that we don't like. It does, but there, there usually has a, a point to it. And even when we don't always see what the point of that was, but now we do see what the point of that was. Like the like Rufus mentioning about his watch. So there was no point of him mentioning that except next week when he loses Peter it. finds the watch and right. sell, we know it's an expensive and yet watch Rufus has never never mentioned, mentioned it. it again and never phoned up the cab office did no. I lose a watch with you no and was actually wearing the watch later right, that yes. same episode but anyway it seems like they uh, don't have an understanding about rich people because rich people would absolutely call about their watch of course they would anybody would but I just don't see at all what bringing the mother and the bullies back I think achieved. We've, I uh, think we've talked enough about this because I, d- I, I know, and I, and I don't think we're going to come up with any answers to it. No. Well, I came up with some answers and you've rejected I them. I don't think they were very good. <laughs> cool. All right. That was the week that was Coronation Street mm-hmm. then, Helen. Tell me, what was your moment of the week? The Prince of Weatherfield. Yeah, it really has to be, doesn't it? And yeah. it's a shame because if it wasn't, it would be Glenda. But really... Maureen Lippmann's real, real big dame of the British Empire acting. Yes. Going on and. It was gorgeous. was just incredible. So, just kiss. Mwah. And it's, do you know, it's not often that Coronation Street makes me cry, but it made me cry on Wednesday. Yes. That is our moment of the week. Your boring moment of the week. Ken's Tintin story. Ken's Tintin story. I mean, this is it's halfway through it and I'm thinking, well, this is boring moment of the week. <laughs> it was either going to be that or Daniel mansplaining wedding traditions to Daisy. I think the Tintin stuff was more boring. It was boring. more boring, yes. Because at least the the Daniel stuff was kind of relevant to the conversation. Kind of. What Ken was talking about had nothing to do with anything. No. It had to do with whatever came before that we were not privy to. Ken, we were talking about porn. (laughs) Anyway, Ken, oh Ken, that's our boring moment of the week. (laughs) Our boring moment of the week. Well, shall we wrap this one up then? Yes, please. If you've ever... Used flowers as deodorant. (laughs) Yeah, I'm genuinely curious about that. Let us know about it. We are the talk of the street at gmail.com and we're at Corey Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can shout me and Helen a coffee by heading to Kofi.com. That's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. Check out the clicky clicky section of vogel.co.uk for links to their merch store and YouTube channel. And if you're so inclined, please leave a rating and a review on the iTunes or your podcast provider of choice. 
thanks for making it to the end of another episode and we will be back in two weeks time yes with more the talk of the street the talk of the street bye Cheerio.